Hello, everyone, and welcome to From Survivor to Thriver, episode 58. This is Mark Fernandes, and uh, 58 is actually a pretty cool numerology. At first, you know, anything with the number eight of it, I always think of the infinity sign, right? But numerology doesn't really pay attention to that. And uh, this one was really cool because I have felt scattered, exhausted, and unfocused. And uh, 58 is all about a focus on the future. It breaks down into a bunch of different things, but the number 58 talks about focus and pragmatism, which I was like, hmm. Yeah, I could use some of that, but uh, that's enough of that. But I just thought it was interesting. And across the creek, who do we got? Eric DeRosa, my ever faithful. We're going back to faithful. I haven't used that one in a while. Ever faithful co-host. How are we today? Great to see you, Mark. Uh, lots going on in your life, my life. We've we've crossed paths quite a bit on the snow, which has been really fun for me. And uh, and I know you've had a really busy last few weeks and things are, I think, hopefully starting to slow down for us on the snow. I know it's starting to ramp up for me uh, in terms of, uh, you know, the From Survivor to Thriver business, which is super exciting. Uh, and just a couple of quick things today. Yeah, I just want to let our audience know. I never thought the day would come, but we are actually up on TikTok. So you can follow us at from Survivor to Thriver on TikTok. Uh, it'll have links over to uh, all of our new episodes on Tuesdays on Apple and Spotify. And as we record this, it's World Bipolar Day. And I just wanted to uh, remind everybody, if you haven't listened, you can listen to our episode with Tom Robinson from back in the summer. That was a really powerful, powerful episode. Tom's a great friend uh, of the show. He's become a really great friend of ours. And uh, before we we introduce today's guest, so I've been I've been reading this book called Be Water. It's uh, by Shannon Lee, who's the daughter of Bruce Lee, uh, and it's just a continuation mark of the whole idea of embracing the process and not the outcome and the process and not goals. And, and so many things in that book uh, remind me uh, of the guest that we have on today. Uh, not only his, his journey, but what he's overcome. And so I couldn't help but uh, to think about those parallels before we went uh, live on the air today. But before I introduce him, how are things on your end? Great. They're great. I mean, I'm at that point where things are starting to slow down and other things are ramping up. You know, transition seasons are always a challenge in their own way. Um, I finally got an actual day off, a day out of boots. I think it had been like 40 or 41 days in ski boots in a row and took care of myself, got a massage, slept. And now I'm like, all I want to do is sleep. <laughs> I actually I actually had to set an alarm uh, for this call because I was sitting in my chair and I'm like, I think I'm going to fall asleep. And then I did. But uh, things are great. You know, spring's always tough for me. It's hard to say goodbye to winter, but it's been an amazing winter, both from a snow perspective, from a from survivor to thriver perspective and, um, you know, meeting new challenges, finding new ways to kind of get around things. But yeah, it's been it's been good. I, uh, I'm not looking forward to long, sunny days. I know most people do, but um, they're coming no matter what. So I might as well suck it up and figure it out. <laughs> But there's still plenty of skiing to be had. It was 20 degrees today. It snowed it like it was winter. And I don't think winter's, uh, winter's not over with us yet. No, no, no. I've got at least 20 to 30 days of skiing left for sure. <laughs> Which would be a full season for most people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Indeed, well, with, you are correct. With that, I think people have heard enough from us. So joining us today is Eric Rogers. He is the owner, operator, and CEO of Rogers Fitness Academy, 
a natural born leader and entrepreneur. He has persevered through some of the worst things a person can endure. Homelessness, addiction, violence, abuse, mental health disorders, incarceration, and more. During his darkest moment, Eric almost ended his own life, which is when he decided to pursue a disciplined life and focus on fitness and nutrition. After battling and conquering some of life's biggest challenges, Eric is now a devoted family man, successful businessman, and mentor to others that are struggling and striving to become the best they can be and uses the exact technique that helped him to change the lives of others. Now his goal is simple, to spread a powerful message. You are what you strive to be if you put in the time and work. With that, let's welcome in Eric. Thank you so much for joining us today. Of course, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate that long list of stuff I've been through. And sometimes it's, uh, it's like unbelievable to me because of the life I live now. And, you know, I'm grateful. It's almost like I didn't live it. Right. Yeah. It's kind of gives you that aspect that you can get through it. And, you know, it's, it's in the past. Yeah. It's crazy. And I, and I will say for those who are, who are listening and not watching, uh, we talked about the, we brought this up in the pre-call, but Eric is somebody who I don't think will Smith would have stepped up on stage and slapped across the face. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. I would probably slap him back, most likely. Even though, like, I talk about emotional control, right? And yeah. I have a whole, a whole, you know, point of view on, on Will. And, you know, I'll just give you my 10 cents. If you're going to stand up and make a decision, like a big boy, right, and get up on stage and defend your wife, which, honestly, I don't see a huge reason. I, I feel it's justified in my own eyes, but don't apologize right like don't apologize if you make that decision be able to stand there and take the consequences and the punishment and the repercussions that are going to come with it stand your ground and say no i'm not apologizing for what i do or you know have the the mental discipline the emotional discipline to you know cut it off sit down handle it later right uh, that's kind of my 10 cents on it a lot of people aren't giving that point of view but in reality you know, your emotions, they're, they're not, they're, they're real. They're just not reality, right? Until you react to them. And then no, there's consequences. Yeah. Well, right? so true. So true. And I, and I like mm. how you, you put it in those terms, because I think it's very similar to, you know, how we talk about mental health, right? We shouldn't have to apologize for what we're feeling. We shouldn't have to apologize for, you know, our behavior at times. Um, you know, it's ours, we own it. Uh, and I think in that, in that instance, you're absolutely correct. If that's, if that's the decision you're going to make, and then I can completely and totally see, you know, defending my wife in a situation like that, um, I'm going to stand there and I'm going to own it and I'm going to take it. And I'm going to say, I, I, and I'm going to say why I did it. Um, but to come out and apologize later, uh, yeah. makes, makes it seem like, yeah, maybe it really wasn't for my wife, but you know, who, who, who really knows what, what the decision was all about. Yeah. I think he gained a lot of, uh, or he lost a lot of fans from like the, the real type of men out there, but he gained a lot of undisciplined followers. Um, you know, people that can justify, you know, getting up there and, and acting like a fool and then apologizing for it after, I think that's the biggest problem because, you know, if you go slap someone on in front of the world and then you cry in your next speech and then you do a public apology, 
the society says, oh, we forgive you, you know, you can walk free. And I don't like that. You know what I mean? I believe that, you know, consequences should be there no matter what. Otherwise, either take them like a man or don't make that decision in the first place. Yeah. And, and we actually, we had a, a guest on the show of uh, Ben Marbach uh, back last summer. Uh, and we we're talking about all about addiction. And one of the things he kept talking about was this whole idea of, I wasn't going to change because there were no consequences. And it finally took for him to recognize that there were some significant consequences in his life for him to change his behavior. And, and yeah. it's a, it's a similar situation with Will. Um, you know, now I think he's going to see that there are going to be some significant consequences um, yeah. and he can either choose to change behavior or, um, you know, continue down that same path. Like you were saying, you know, yeah. there'll be lots of apologists on his behalf. Right. Which, you know, if you're going to, you know, stand up, like I said, and show strength like that, which, you know, I, I would have never expected anyone to do that. Right. You got to stick to it. Like you got to, you got to stand your ground. You got to carry that strength throughout. Like if your if your belief system is don't mess with my wife, right. Then don't mess with her. That's it. I'm not apologizing for nothing. You know, that, that would have been my stance. The thing that's so interesting to me and, uh, we could definitely go into a deep dive on this is because, you know, I've always struggled with the idea or the ideal of toxic masculinity, right? Like I understand right. that it exists. I'm not saying that it's not a thing, but it's like that line, you know, and I love how you said that. It's like, you know, you decide, you have your line that it is. And the thing that I find interesting is, you know, the first thing is Chris Rock's doing his job. He's a comedian and it's a thankless and sort of, awful situation because you're trying to make people laugh and unfortunately often when you make people laugh one to a thousand people in the crowd feel bad right like that's there's yeah. there's a you know we all you know nobody likes or enjoys being made fun of no matter the awareness or whatever and you know it was kind of a bad joke and and chris rock said that right away he's like you know it's a gi jane joke man you know and but then that reaction if and i see what you're saying like if that's the reaction that's what it is. And the apology sort of takes away from the conviction or the, or that thing. And the fact of the matter is he never should have been able to even get up there to smack him. Right. Like in any other situation, right. the guys on stage, like, I don't care if you're Will Smith or not, like you don't just get to walk up there and do what you want. Um, right. And it, it's, I don't know for me though. Like I look at it and I was like, look, you know, Will has this reaction is he having some struggles or things going on? You know, you know, I try to have that sort of more holistic view, Yeah. but yeah, to like get in his corner though and be like, yeah, you know, it's okay. It's like, no, actually it's not how he behaved is not okay. Both right. with, within the smack and then the reaction afterward. And I think it's such an interesting thing. Cause I've, you know, I've definitely been in situations where I want to smack the shit out of somebody. Absolutely. Um, often um <laughs> but um i rarely have and i can tell you the times that i have i've never wanted to apologize after um yeah ever ever right um but i do think it is interesting like you know people have made the obvious uh idea of like well if it was uh the rock instead of chris rock how would that have gone you know because will's gotta outweigh chris by 30 pounds i, I can tell you he might have come to take a swing at somebody like me because i'm short but 
um, he would not have liked the reaction because I can tell you, I wouldn't have slapped them back. <laughs> Getting hit in the face, my reaction isn't a slap. Like it's definitely closed fist after that. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, I, I'm coming from a place in my past where I used to react to everything, you know? So, you know, putting myself in a situation, a will situation, I get it, right? I get it. But there's a certain part of your life, especially if you can have the success that Will has, there's, there's got to be a, a certain amount of emotional maturity that he's got to have in order to be in that place he's in. I get the people that can't get anywhere in life. They can't level up. They're struggling. They're broke. They're poor. They're, I used to be that person. I, I understand when they, when they react not saying it's okay. It doesn't matter who you are. It's still not okay, but it's hard for me to understand why Will can control himself, you know, compared to some sleaze bag on the side of the street. Well, and, and I guess, you know, jumping off from that topic, Eric, and, and talking about consequences and you alluded to, you know, I used to be that person, uh, you know, give us a little bit of a glimpse into the, not the Eric Rogers that's on the podcast today and, and has an amazing fitness business and, and other entrepreneurial ventures, but the Eric Rogers from, you know, a couple of decades ago, what, what, who was that guy? What was he like? Yeah, man. Well, you know, a big part of all the struggle that I went through was a lot of it had to do with my identity. You know, it, it, it I did a lot of the things I did and act the, a lot of the, the ways I acted because of who I was. And it was really caused by a ton of trauma as a child. Right. So my whole life has been survival mode. It's been, um, you know, just it's been just react i had no way of handling my emotions you're talking about being world bipolar day i am bipolar as well uh that's something that i've overcome quite a bit without medications but at the age of se uh, seven years old man i was sexually molested by my sunday school teacher and you know i she didn't there was no there was no consequences for her when that happened you know she got away with it and you can imagine what that would do to a kid right um and the other thing is like, I had to go back every Sunday. And so what I did is instead of telling my parents and, you know, and, and have them handle it, I decided to take matters in my own hands at seven years old. I poured bleach in her coffee the week later because I knew I had to go back and I tried to kill her and she got super sick. She didn't die. But all of this stuff that happened was like, first I, you know, I got hurt. And so I've always struggled with authority, authority. Um, I've always struggled listening. I, I can't trust, you know what I mean? Like people that are supposed to guide me, lead me. I've always had a distaste, a hate for. And then the other thing is because I got away with poisoning her, I also learned that I can handle things on my own in whatever way I thought was just, you know, and so that carried on through my life, you know, and because of that, you know, my reaction to her and what I did to try to protect myself I didn't tell anyone about the molestation up until this year because I was afraid of the repercussions I would get I was afraid that I would get in trouble for poisoning my Sunday school teacher I could totally laugh about this shit now right yeah yep. I'm I've worked through it um but 
you know, you can imagine how that would change the behavior of, of a kid. And so growing up in my household, if you were to ask my, my brother and sister, how, you know, how was your childhood? They would say it was amazing. We got taken care of. It was perfect, you know, blah, blah, blah. And my perception of it, it was horrible, absolutely horrible. Not because just of what happened to me, but because I was a rebel now. I couldn't listen to my parents. I hated authority. And I became extremely violent, anger issues, just, just out of the ordinary behaviors. And my parents had no idea where it came from. My brother and sister had no idea where it came from. So then it caused a reaction from them to me. I was kind of pushed into isolation. Like I wasn't accepted into that family. I was actually made fun of. So a ton of emotional abuse um, to the point where like my dad condoned it. So my brother and sister could openly bully me and have no consequences at all. So it just stirred up everything. I was, it's just reliving that trauma every single day, you know, and you know, I'll keep this quick, but at the age of eight, I found some of my mom's painkillers and I tried them and I loved it. It was like the first time in my life where I felt okay. I felt comfort. I felt normal. The pain kind of went away. And so from that moment on until the age of 24, man, I pushed drug abuse hard, you know, and started small, started with you know, Benadryl, whatever I could find, rope test and drinking whole bottles was crazy. Wow. Whatever I could do to have uh, an altered state of mind consciousness so that I didn't have to think about the pain that, you know, not only I was causing, but this world was causing me. You can, you can totally see like how that would put me in a victim mindset. It's, it's so unfortunate because so often that's the beginning, right? There's trauma and then there's the associated behaviors whether it's anger lashing out sometimes moves into substance abuse to cover it up and to sort of you know numb the pain for lack of a better way of putting it but when when did you first sort of become aware that that's what you were doing you know I mean you know you only have recently been able to admit the abuse that happened when you were seven but were there sort of times along the way as you moved through life that you realized that this associated trauma, whether it was the actual abuse, the sexual abuse itself, or things that then sort of, you know, occurred within your family unit, how did you then sort of sort out like, oh, like this, these behaviors, and this is what I'm up to, and this is why I'm doing it? There was always like this dark, this deep, dark pain inside of me, where I knew it came from and started from the sexual abuse. But I repressed that memory, because I had to. Because I, I couldn't talk to anybody about it. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't express it. I, I couldn't get any help. And so I, I repressed that memory. And actually, it literally disappeared from my mind. And what I did is I replaced that hole with my family. And I said, they were the cause of my abuse. So it kind of flipped from this happened to me at the age of seven. Because, I mean, you guys think about when you're seven. Do you re really remember, Right. But and we make up shit in our head, too. And so I even got to the point where I uh, I almost thought it was a dream, like it didn't actually happen. Right. And I thought that if I said anything, people wouldn't believe me. So therefore, it wasn't true. I started it. And not to mention, you know, my dad used to punish me physical abuse for lying. Right? right. And he used to tell me, like, tell me the truth, dude. 
tell me the truth. And I tell the truth and then he'd beat my ass. And so that caused me uh, to become a liar. And so I tricked myself into believing that I was a liar and everything, all this trauma was actually a lie. I was telling myself totally making me just go crazy, feel crazy and just really not know who I was anymore. Well, and just, and just hearing you talk about it, Eric, and, and uh, it, I don't think it'll surprise any of us who are listening, right? Because here you are, you're a seven-year-old, you're, you're in a place where you believe to be safe and secure, right? In Sunday school. And then this awful incident happens to you. Uh, and then you don't feel safe and secure being able to speak about it with your parents and your family. And at the end of the day, you actually turned it onto them, right? It's, it's kind of like the ultimate, like, I don't feel safe and secure around anybody. And the only person I feel that can take care of me is me. Uh, yeah, it's, um, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's awful that it had to happen that way. Um, right. But I'm, I'm, I'm also curious, and I'm just jumping ahead for a second, because uh, you, you talked about, you know, your brother and sister, like they didn't know. And the response to your behavior was for them to actually lay into you. And, and it was condoned right by your dad. Uh, how did your brother and sister react once they found out, you know, and you said you've been public with it, you know, in the last year, once they found out what actually happened to you, what was uh, that discussion? It was recently, actually, it was the beginning of this year. And the reaction was, oh, it makes a lot of sense, right? It makes a lot of sense. And I wasn't, there was no like apology because this is a thing is that, you know, and I, I really hope that my, my family doesn't listen to all these podcasts I'm on, but they have listened to some and they've come at me sideways and they've, they've said like, you, you can't tell your story. Like, that's not cool. Like you're making us look bad. And I'm like, well, fuck you. Cause like, this is my story and I'm going to tell it. Right. And so the reaction has it's been a war lately between me and them. Like you're a liar. They keep pushing the same bullshit on me. But look, I set boundaries. I said, hey, I, love and support. That's all I get from you. Anything opposite from that, anything different from that, I'm done. I'm fucking done. I didn't need you guys by the time I was seven years old. Like I didn't I don't need you now. Right. So I just need you to understand me. And I'm trying to get to that point where um, they can I actually feel understood by them for once in my life. And I mean, if they're listening, if they're listening right now, Eric, the thing that I find so telling about the way you tell the story is you don't hold them in blame or fault. And, and you may have bits of that in other parts of the story or this or that, but listening to you talk right now, I hear somebody who got really personally wounded and then reacted. And you knew, I mean, you essentially just said, my behavior didn't make any sense to them. So they behaved in a way they didn't right. make sense either, right? It's a reaction yeah. to a reaction. And if they're listening right now, I would just challenge them to say, hey, forget anything else that happened. Like go back to that moment and then try to recreate and, and understand what you were going through for some perspective and take the fault and blame and guilt out of it. Like it is just what it is. And by the way, that's an impossible thing to just do in a minute, right? It takes therapy. It takes work. It takes time. But I think they'll feel that they'll have some healing. They may find some peace that they didn't know was there. Um, And it's, you know, it's such an impossible thing, but you know, I can't, I don't know. I can't challenge them enough to, to listen to how you're saying what you're saying and how 
much you understand that you know no one knew what was going on because you couldn't even tell yourself right right yeah yeah but also but also what also what i heard in there uh and was seven-year-old eric finally sharing with your brother and sister and family what happened and just for a moment wanting them to say i'm so sorry that happened to you 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 could have come to us right it it doesn't have to be apologies for all the other things that happened post that but just the acceptance that what happened to you did happen to you um and you're their son you're their brother uh and it was an awful thing and we're so sorry that it happened that it had to happen to you right instead the the reaction was because i when the first time i talked about it well besides my wife um, and it was literally the night before was one of the biggest podcasts in the nation. I got on the podcast and it was the first time I talked about it. And then they heard and they were like, why didn't you come to us first? Right. And it's like, I just, I don't trust you with that, but you trust the world. It's like, I'm not speaking to the world to, uh, justify their actions. I'm, I'm speaking to the world to save them, to help them, you know, with their trauma. And that's, that's why I'm here, bro. That's why I tell my story. It's, it's for two reasons. One, to, to spread a message and to tell people that no matter what you go through, no matter where you've been, you can overcome it and you can become this amazing fucking person. Another, another reason why I tell my story is because it saved my fucking life. It's well, and I think, and I think that's the part that as someone who's been around other people who've had trauma, you know, and awful things have happened to, there are two things that I think is so important. It's like, you didn't, you never deserve this, right? Like you hear it from people who all different types of abuse, whether it goes right up through rape, through different types of sexual or emotional abuse, you didn't do anything to deserve it. And, you know, it's not your fault, right? So that's number one. And number two, exactly what Eric was saying, that sense of, I'm so sorry this happened to you, um, you know, and obviously, it, it wasn't anyone else's fault except for this perpetrator. Right. And it, it changes the lens. It, it would have to change the lens of how you saw everything yeah. after that. Like, I, I think about a kid, seven years old, reacting in rage and all those things. Like, that's incredibly difficult on parents and a family and all of that. And, you know, my mom and dad had to deal with that from me. And unfortunately, it, it came from just emotional issues and and some associated trauma as well but it was it was more that i was just depressed um and and adhd didn't exist back then they didn't know what that was yet (laughs) um and um and but that sense and 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 man i'm so sorry i'm I'm gonna say i'm sorry that you have to sort of be your own champion in this but really all you're saying to them is hey this happened to me and this is where i am now and and it's such a powerful message, Eric, and it's so important. And I love your sort of juxtaposition of putting, like, I had to get to this place to save myself. And now, you know, I'm compelled to share it because, you know, who, who knows how many people out there listening and watching either have had this very similar situation or have a loved one in their life that they don't know how to reach out to. And this could be why, right? And, yeah. and what's more important than that? Like, there's so many people who weren't able to pull it out and save themselves the way you have, or never even got past it to unrepress or 
move through the block of the memory. And yeah, you're, you're right. Yeah. I think that one of the biggest attributes any human being can have is to learn how to gain trust from the people they love, like through empathy, through understanding that they have been through probably things that you could never imagine that you go through. So you probably won't understand it, but to look at everybody, like you don't know their fucking secrets and you don't know what they've been through. And that's called unconditional love. Right. And that's what changes the world right there. Like it, it sucks that I had to go through it to understand it, but I, I can also share this message now. And, you know, and that the first part of the story is, is me kind of giving you an explanation of the things that I could not control. Right. The things that happened to me, the things that actually made me a victim. But now I kind of want to move into the things that I had control over and that I eventually had to take responsibility for. Right. And, and so, so moving forward, um, you know, in the high school, I started getting into harder drugs and by, by the age of 17, you know, I'm, I'm a cocaine addict. Um, I'm getting in fights. My, you know, my, my family sent me down South to go live with another family. Basically they couldn't handle me anymore. I got kicked out of that house, got sent back home. Um, I got expelled after that. And then, you know, by the grace of God, I, I graduated high school at 17 and, um, immediately after my dad found some, some cocaine on me and he's, he gave me the boot, no warning, no, no, nothing. He's just like, you're done by no help. No, you know, can we give you therapy? Can we get you in a treatment? You know, which I'm thankful for every single thing, every single thing that I've been through every single thing that my parents didn't do for me, that my brother and sister didn't do for me, every struggle I'm so thankful for because it did make me who I am today. And so I, I like that part of it because before it was like, man, like no one helped me. And it's true. No one helped me and nobody gave a fuck about me. That's the truth. But it empowered me. And this doesn't happen for everyone. A lot of people don't make it out of this shit, but empowered me to, to be my own cheerleader and pull my own ass out of this darkness, right? So, yeah, yeah I mean, age of 17, so I'm homeless. Um, and I, I have a job, but, you know, first night out homeless, I went and stayed with, a, you know, a dude that I knew. And I told him, I was like, bro, I just got kicked out of my parents' house for coke. Like, I, I got to quit, you know, like, I got to get my shit together. Like, this is scary, right? And, you know, wake up the next morning on his couch and he pulls out a white bag, you know, a bag full of white powder. And he's like, you want a bump? And of course, I'm like, cocaine, you know, cocaine. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, dude, for sure. I took a bump and it, it turned out to be methamphetamines, right? And, and the way I am and the way I'm wired, I'm sure it's two things, bipolar and the trauma that I, that I went through, I'm all in, bro. If I get a taste of something, you ain't stopping me. I'm going all in. And that's with everything good and bad. You know, people say it's an addictive personality. I'm just an all in type of individual. And like, I don't care if it kills me, I'm going to do it. So, I, you know, I, li I liked it. I enjoyed it. And it pushed me into this next level uh, of drug addiction and just fuck, bro. <laughs> it was bad, dude. It was bad. It got me to a point where I was literally showing signs of schizophrenia. I was uh, dealing with drug-induced psychosis, you know, I was that motherfucker on the side of the street screaming at cars, biting my fucking shoulder, you know, you can see all these scars on my face from 
picking and itching and scratching. And I was, you know, sucked up 125 pounds, you know, that was my body weight and just falling apart very close to death. You know, um, I overdosed a number of eight times, you know, I, I started to hang around people that did the drug that were extremely evil. And these types of people, man, put me in situations that I could have never expected that I would be in. I've seen some, I've seen some shit, you know, I've seen death. I've seen some evil stuff that, you know, not necessarily ever going to talk about on, on, on the air, but it just pushed me into more and more and more and more trauma to the point where like, you know, I, well, I found myself in jail. I got, I got arrested for uh, a lot of different types of drugs and got put in. I was looking at 10 years. And when I was in the jail cell, I was in there for two weeks before I made bail. I, it was the first time in, uh, let's see, from eight years old to 18. So 10 years, first time in 10 years, I was sober. And it was a cool experience because I realized that it, it wasn't that bad. Right. I was going to say, yeah. Uh, what was it like for you to actually be sober for the first time in 10 years and to sit there and to start to think about all the things that happened in your past. Right. And then there's always the two roads that you can kind of choose. Like when I get out of here, I am going to right either return to the life on the streets that I've had um, and continue um, or I'm going to use this as an opportunity, right. To take a completely different path. What yeah. did that happen to you in that moment or, or did it take something else to, to, to drive that decision? Well, when I, when I went to jail, I had no one to call, you know, like it, they give you a, a, a phone call. I had no one to call. I didn't have, no one was going to save me. No one was going to help me. No one was going to fucking bail me out. No one's going to listen to me. The whole town. I, I grew up in a small town, 419 people. Everybody knew what I was doing. Everybody knew who I was and nobody wanted anything to do with me. So I was in there. Well, it was kind of freeing, right? No responsibility, no one yep. to hold me accountable. I love that part. But when I was in there, all I did was I, I focused on stimulating myself to the point where I didn't go crazy. I started getting back. I started, I started hitting push-ups. I started hitting pull-ups. It was kind of a trip. As soon as I let go of the drugs, my body kind of pushed me to find some type of escape. Right. And so, you know, two weeks in there, I, I did probably a billion push-ups, but I, I wasn't planning on getting off. I wasn't planning on quitting. I was just planning on getting out and surviving again. Who the fuck wants to be homeless sober? Right. Yep. Who wants to be in the world alone sober? And so, you know, when I got out, I stayed on, on drugs. I, I went to trial and I won. And, you know, I walked away with no felonies and nothing on my record besides an arrest. And thank God what happened is that my cousin took me in um, into his apartment and let me stay there for a few months. And he just, it was a, one of the first times I, I felt accepted and loved. Like he knew I was kind of fucked up, but he also knew that he didn't want to see me struggle. And he fed me, gave me a bed. And he looked at me one day, he's like, you got to get the fuck out of here and you got to move away far. And I took his advice. 
And I moved up into Truckee, California with a box of canned foods and a, a tarp and my guitar. And I, I lived in the woods for four months. And that's when I sobered up for the first time off hard drugs. It was quite a trip, uh, you know, surviving in the, in the woods. But it was a therapy I needed to get away from everybody I knew. You know, I, I, had to, I just had to change, shift and, and find a new identity. And I did. Um, did, it feel, did it feel like a conscious choice? to do it alone in the woods in that way? Or did it just feel like there was the only option sort of that made sense to you at that time? It, it was the only option because at the, at the time I owed a lot of people money and I had no way of getting it to them. Cause when I got arrested, the cops took a shit ton of drugs and money. And my cousin, uh, actually a friend of mine, um, paid him off, but they were still like looking for me, bro. Like it yeah. was, I had to get, I had no choice. And yeah. Um, when I went up there, I just didn't have, I didn't have a phone. I had no way of getting drugs. And that's when I sobered up from the hard shit. And, um, you know, I eventually met my wife up in Truckee and we started dating. You got to a point where we fell in love, bro. I met that woman and it was the first time in my fucking life. I felt love. I never felt that feeling before ever. And she gave that to me. And it was like this new found thing. It was like a new drug. And I chased that. I got my shit together to a point, uh, obviously, as much as you can from a re- as a recovering addict coming right out of it. But I started getting into alcohol. I started getting into Adderall. I'd, I was still running from pain. I was still fucking run. I never, I never faced it. I never solved it. And it got us to the point where my son was one years, you know, one year old, brand new in, in this world, my, my baby boy. And I was such a fucking asshole. I was such an alcoholic and I was causing the same pain to my wife and kid as I was causing, you know, the people in my family growing up and it just repeating that fucking cycle to the point where, you know, that fell apart completely. Uh, they picked up and they, they left me. Um, and again, I was left alone. Nobody to fucking call, nobody to talk to, nobody to help. Um, about four months into that, uh, being alone again, I decided I was going to kill myself. And, you know, that's when I, I, I drank in a whole, a whole handle of whiskey. Uh, I was drinking about a half a handle a night. So I drank the whole thing and I didn't leave a note. I didn't call anybody. I didn't, I, and that's how I knew it was real. It wasn't a, a cry for help this time. And I, I put my Glock in my mouth, finger on the trigger, one in the, in the, in the cartridge and you know, I was starting to pull that fucking trigger and something happened in that moment. It's very hard to explain what that is, but it was like, it was God, hundred percent. It was God. And it was kind of a selfish moment. I, I pictured my son calling someone else dad. And I pictured my wife being loved by another man. And that kind of made me jealous. I pulled that gun out of my mouth and I decided like, it was like, it was the first time in my life I realized that, that my actions got me here, right? It was the first time I took fucking responsibility for my actions. And I realized it was weird because it was because that was the first time I also realized that I was in control of my future too, that my actions moving from now forward can change the outcome of my future. I could be that father. I could, I could be the father that I never had. I could be you know, a husband that loved my wife more than anybody ever could. 
now I just had to do the work to get there. And, um, you know, that was a life-changing moment because I told myself like, look, I'm going to give myself a year. If I can't build a life worth living and I see myself falling back into these cycles, I'm going to kill myself. And I made that promise to, to my wife. Well, in the words of a former guest of ours, I, I want to first say thank you for staying. Uh, and you know, the world is a far better place uh, with you in it uh, and with all the amazing things that you're now doing uh, to help others, uh, not only you know in the mental health space, but in the fitness space and, and, and everything. And, um, and I'm glad you made the, the decision. And it sounds like you made the decision that night with some help uh, from, uh, from above uh, yeah. to, to pull that that Glock out. Um, and, and here you are today, uh, you know, having this conversation with us. So thank you very much. Yeah. Um, thank you, man. Thank you. I, I spent my whole life alone, bro. You know, so you made this decision alone too, though. And I just wonder, and I'm not asking this question because I think it has to be anything, but what you've already said, but right. I would just love to hear, like, because you gave yourself a time period, which, which is, considering you literally had a gun in your mouth, is sort of incredible to me that you had this, like, I got to do a year. I got to give myself the time to, like, you know, create this new life, this life worth living, like you said. But, you know, if you could take us a little bit through that thought process of in that moment, because obviously the plans could have changed. You could have done whatever in the next months. But in that hour, so to speak, like, how how had you created because let's face it you didn't have a sense or an understanding of what that paradigm would look like what what did that life worth living look like except being a dad and a loving husband right like those yeah. are the two things but could you begin to fathom like you know it's like fine put down the drugs and alcohol and everything will be fine did you have any idea the journey you were about to embark on no absolutely not I actually yeah, didn't I have a whole so. lot of faith in myself right all i knew is that i love my wife and kid and I wanted to try, like the love pulled that gun out. I had no recollection of what I was capable of. I've, I've grown up with zero self-belief, zero confidence, and, and it's just been a struggle. And man, it, I never would have thought that I could be who I am today, right? So in that hour, it was a lot of like back and forth. Like it was, it was hard for me because I, I wanted to end it, bro. I wanted to yeah. end it. Yeah. And that's the so thing I can about tell. It. That's why I asked. Yeah. yeah, that's the thing about pain. Like you either face it or you run from it. And when you run from it, it it'll it'll push you into a place where it hurts so bad that you have no fucking choice but to change. And if you choose not to change at rock bottom, that's the end of your life. That's it. Right. Right. And so right. Even if you, even if you keep living, right. Like, you know, cause that, that's, yeah. that's the thing. I think people always look at suicide as this sort of like final thing. And it's like, even if you had pulled the gun out, but didn't make the other choices to change. And if you never became that husband and that father that you had in your head, it, it still would have been the end, so to speak. Right. Like, I don't know how else to describe it, but it's really, you know, cause I think, look, obviously nothing is more final than suicide, but if you continue on that kind of path of self-destruction and addiction, it doesn't matter that your corporal being is alive because the love and the life that you're talking about now, that wouldn't have existed anyway. Yeah. And I've, I've met a whole lot of people and, and been around a whole lot of people that are in that 
they don't have a fucking heart anymore, bro. They, they've given right. up, but they're still alive. And the only way they can stay alive and stay fueled is through coping constantly. And it's destructive. Well, and I think there's some, there's another message there uh, for our audience. And I think that message is, you know, you were, you were at rock bottom. You had all of this repressed pain, you know, years and years and years going all the way back to when you were seven years old. Um, but I think what a lot of people don't realize, and it's important, I think we talk about it on this show, is that if you had made the decision that night, the, the pain would have ended for you. But really what it would have done is it would have transferred the pain to other people, right? So yeah. your wife and your son. Um, and so I think that's an important message for everybody to hear that, um, you know, the pain, the pain might go away <laughs> for the, for the person who, who does that, but the pain continues for all of those who are left behind. Yeah. It's a, it's a very selfish act, hundred percent cowardly act to, to do that because like, I had no idea at the moment that I had any worth or any future to even reach. I didn't know I'd bring this much value to people. And so at that moment, it was like, nobody care, you know, nobody cares and no one's going to miss me. And you're just so stuck in your own fucking head that you can't see that you have purpose and everybody in this world does. Everybody does. Whether you think so or not, there's a reason why you're fucking here. And it's not to take our breath, you know, take our oxygen out of the sky. It's, it's something way bigger. <laughs> so what, what do you think, you know, let, so we're fast forwarding, we're past that hour now, and you've decided to go back in the world and try to make a life where you can be a loving, a loving dad and a loving husband. You know, what were the steps? How did you then begin to sort of push yourself through to not only kick the addiction, but to create a life and habits? And I'm going to, I'm going to go back to it because I love that, you know, a, a life worth living for you. Yeah. Well, this is what my business is all about in my program and what I teach as a coach and an influencer is that if you want to change, you got to put in the action, right? Like it's the daily habits that are going to get you wherever you want. And so all I focused on is what I could control. Like I was, I was too overwhelmed to think about, you know, how am I going to have confidence? How am I going to believe in myself? How am I going to be healthy? How? No. Like, is what I'm doing right now going to get me to that vision that I want to see, which is to be, to be there for my son, to be there for my wife. And I didn't even know if my wife would take me back. I didn't even tell her about this actually until after we were together, you know? And so all I did was I, I slowly but surely aligned my, my daily habits with who I was trying to become. And then the, the, the belief came after and that method right there is so fucking powerful and I've used it since then. And I do every single day that whoever I'm trying to become, I need to do the things on a daily basis to get there. And, and, you know, first of all, the bad habits are the first thing that they need to go because if you're smoking weed, if you're drinking, if you're doing drugs, you're not going to give a fuck about no vision, right? So you got to take away the things that cloud your vision. They, you got to take away the things that, that keep you from walking a straight path. And so my first goal was to, uh, you know, take away and replace bad habits with good ones. 
And so, you know, almost immediately and through my childhood, I've, one of the things that's helped me cope with everything is fitness. And so I remembered that tool. And so I placed it into my daily habits again. Um, nutrition came way later, but I, I worked out twice, three times a day, whatever I could do um, to just keep that stimulation going, keep coping, but also working through things. Um, the, the one thing I struggled with was like, what's normal? I had no idea how to act. I didn't know how to react, like how do people react to things? So what I did is I placed myself into a community group with my church and I asked questions and I just studied people. I was like trying to figure out how people worked and how people resolved issues because mine was always so extreme. And one thing I did realize very quickly is I didn't want to be fucking normal at all. It was not in me. It's not in me. And so I embraced, you know, a lot of good attributes from them and also the extreme attributes of myself and kind of combined them to become who I am today. And I think the biggest part of my quick transformation was my acceptance of the things that I couldn't change and also changing and focusing on changing the things that I could. That well, just kept kept it simple. And one of the things you're speaking to you, uh, you know, a couple months ago, Eric, when we were were on the call and listening to you today, um, I'd really love to to hear your thoughts on this because I, I get a sense that, and you were talking about you know doing the thing that you really you know remembered doing physical activity, right? you know, getting stronger. And, and I'm wondering if for you, as your physical strength continued to increase, right. And you felt stronger, um, from a, like, just call it from a physical standpoint, if that then enabled you to grow stronger mentally, if how, how big of a link for you was there? It's huge, bro. It's everything. Our body is straight up an antenna to our mind it's connected. It's connected in, in every single way. Like when you can become disciplined physically with the things you can control, you just start to become disciplined mentally with the things that are a lot harder to control, you know, like your attitude and your energy and your, your reactions to emotions and stuff like that. And what I realized is all it was is when I can be consistent and disciplined with my fitness, what it started to rewire my brain to the point where I started to see a result, right. Both physically and mentally, but I'd look in the mirror and see, Holy shit. If I put in work, it changes something. Like I started to have hope in my abilities to make a difference, to make a change in my body. And then it started to carry on with my mind. And then it started to carry on with other people's bodies and other people's minds. I built this, you know, a six figure successful business, in a matter of six months and built this life for me. And so I, it all stemmed from the, the physical discipline and um, pushing through pain in the gym and trying to work through emotions at the gym. And just, instead of just fucking running from them, I faced them head on. Like every day I'm like, you know, I face my demons and I'm like, let's go. Like you ain't, you ain't taking me over day. Sometimes they do, bro. You know, I ain't perfect. I'm not going to be uh, up here and act like David Goggins, dude. I slip. I have slipped, um, you know, and, and when I slip, I slip fucking hard. I, it's been a long time since I've slipped hard, but I can say that, you know, discipline is my lifeline 
one hundred percent. And if because of I'm like a black and white extreme all in or all out type of guy, if I'm not severely and extremely and massively disciplined, I am the exact opposite than that. And so uh, people may see me now and go like, how does he stay so disciplined? It's because I fucking have to, and I'm okay with that. Yeah. Right. I, I do. I know you want to, to bring something up, Mark. I just wanted to finish one thought and that you brought something up. That's really important. Um, when you were talking about, you know, you slip and I, and, and I think what we all have to recognize is on these journeys, we're all on these journeys. Um, we're all human. Right. And, and we all have ups and downs and, and it's perfectly okay to slip. The important thing is to have the recognition right at that point in time that, all right, I need to take these steps now that I know that I can do to get myself back to the place I need to be. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. The biggest tool in that process is grace. It's to go, I fucked up but it doesn't define me get back up and get back at it just like that. When you, when you dwell on it, you'll stay down for so much longer. It just reminds me of something I thought of right at the beginning when you were talking about <clears throat> yourself as a child and this understanding. And we've talked about it a lot on the show of, you know, we, you know, nothing is the same. We have similar, right. We're humans. We have similar experiences, but not the same. But to hear you talk about yourself now, there is this sense, you use the word grace, the word that kept coming to me was this idea of like compassion and empathy with or without understanding, right? Like no one has to understand what you've been through, Eric Rogers, to actually have compassion and empathy for you. But even within yourself, you had to learn that, right? You hadn't given yourself permission to say, no, I deserve compassion and empathy. I should walk by the grace that I can have myself to do this. And, and I wanted to say that because when I started to think about it, it's, it's interesting because essentially you've created a physical metaphor for something that we've been talking about a lot with a lot of our guests, which is this idea of neuroplasticity and the fact that you actually can recreate your brain and you can create yeah. new neural pl- pathways. And I'm wondering if you've looked at that at all, talked with some of the guys and, and ladies that you're training with and and when you see these results, are you able to be like, oh, no, like, here's the science. Here's what's going on. Or, yeah. you know, did you kind of end up here and now all of a sudden you're like, well, it works. How does it work? <laughs> right. No. Well, obviously, everything was was self-taught, bro, like by experience. And it was really just a state of emergency that I had to change my life so quick or I was going to die. I was going to get someone killed. I was going to do something bad. But I read a book called Psycho-Cybernetics, and I'm, I'm not sure if you've heard of it. But that's what it's all about is, is neuroplasticity. It's really about self-image and self-belief, which has been my number one struggle my whole life. And so, you know, something I, I teach, and this is science, is repetitive actions, you know, create, a, you know, a solid result, bro. You have to repeat stuff in order for it to become your identity. And once it becomes your identity, it's nearly impossible to break. So habits are huge and the more you do them on a daily basis the harder it is to break away from them and that book is amazing because it taught me to do that with self-talk it taught me to do that with self-awareness to spend some time every day and and affirm that i am good enough affirm that i can be successful and that i am strong because i don't care 
if you were born with amazing genetics and you're just some like look like the rock, if you don't see yourself as that, you look in the mirror, you're just as weak as, you know, the little guy. There's no, it, everything, it depends on how you see yourself. And a lot of us through trauma or through the way we were raised are kind of brought up to not believe in ourselves. And fuck, it's impossible to transform your life. It's impossible to change into the person you want to be unless you believe in yourself. But I can say this, the belief comes after the work. The motivation comes after the work. All these things that we want and we feel like we need first before we start to make changes or to change our habits or to get a result, they actually come after. So always just get to fucking work. Stick to it, the things it is control. It is the human condition, right? We're like, oh, we have to have the belief in order to like put it in play. And it, it is sort of inextricably linked. And, you know, the people who often are incredibly successful, they somehow manage to really have that belief before they have the habit and then the habit comes after. But that's, it's incredibly rare. Like that, you know what I mean? Like rare. I don't, it's super rare. And, and, and it doesn't mean that there isn't something back there that we don't know about that they went through or whatever the fuck right. it might be, right? Like, but right. there is a sense of understanding. And I love that you brought that up, Eric, right? Because so many people are like, you know, you hear all the excuses. And I'm saying this from my own uh, chubby self who should be in better shape. I'll start tomorrow. Uh, if only the weather was better. If only, you know, there's right. there's a laundry list of reasons not to do it, right? Um, and this goes into the physical aspect or even the mental aspect of, you know, seeking help from a therapist or, you know, trying to change mindfulness or understanding habits that, you know, are more positive versus negative. And I love how you say that. It's like, no, just start the work. Like all that other stuff can happen with or after, and it doesn't matter. Just start the habit, start the work. Yeah. Or it doesn't happen at all if you don't. And right. I think it all comes down to self-sabotage and we all have that, that characteristic self-sabotage is our favorite form. Um, or sorry, procrastination is our favorite form of self-sabotage. It really is. And it's a fucking disease, bro, because I even do it with certain things and it's a mental limitation and we have to change that pattern by doing the fucking work, right? Less thinking, more doing. And it well, and the world, but the world, the world is set up for us not to, right? We have all these distractions right. and things, comfort. comfort and different things that we can allow ourselves to, you know, sort of lay in and and yeah. use that as procrastination and it feels productive or we're doing something but it's like i no you're not necessarily and i'm definitely guilty of it as well i mean right. it's truth yeah. and you brought up that important piece about repetition and it's repetition right it can be physical it can be mental and it reminds me of uh you know something i was reading recently uh about what bruce lee used to say and it was the importance of practicing the same kick 10,000 times rather than 10,000 kicks one time. Right. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. And another thing is like you were talking about comfort, right? And that's a huge thing is especially in America is most people live in their comfort zone, whether they believe so or not, they could post on Instagram motivational quotes saying like, you know, stay, get comfortable, stay in a comfortable, they're in their comfort zone. Most people are. And it's basically hard. It's, it's almost impossible not to be, bro. We wake up to a phone that gives us all the information in the world, a nice toilet, a warm home. You know, in my situation, which I'm grateful for, is that I've been homeless. I've been without health. I've been without a bed. And I've been without food. 
And that puts me in this, in this place where I can be extremely grateful for the comfort I have, but I can still slip into that pleasure zone, that comfort zone. And what I use to break from it through repetition, like we're talking about, is I, it, the first thing you do when you wake up is the most important thing you'll ever fucking do. You wake up and you, that alarm wakes you up maybe at an earlier time than you're comfortable with and you do not press that snooze button and you put your fucking feet to the floor and you stand up and you go straight downstairs to the stair stepper. You put on a hoodie and you, and you push yourself to the fucking limit while you're still half asleep. I guarantee you that the rest of the day you will be extremely disciplined, that you will be way happier, that you will not be pressing snooze throughout the fucking day. You'll stay out of your comfort zone. So many of us wake up in our comfort zones, our bed, and we snooze and we snooze and then we, we're late to work and so we're stressed. And so we're, we're not even put together. Then we miss our meals because we're not, you know, we're not focused on our meal. We're just worried about stress and getting to work and making money. You know, we wake up to whiny ass kids and we're just constantly in this, this comfort zone, which is extremely stressful. And what I teach in, in the lifestyle I live is to stay out of our comfort zone by intentionally suffering mm -hmm. and the suffering itself, like working out, dieting and shit like that. And the daily habits that I teach um, are, are meant to tolerate stress even more, which, you know, in return is mental fucking strength to stand out among the, among the world. Well, I love how you put that because Anyone who I've come across um, who, and, and I, I'm not going to talk in terms of success and I'm not going to term talk in terms of money because to me, those things are not right. That's not what's important, but anybody who I've ever met or encountered who has actually made an impact, a meaningful impact on the world, right. Or on their community, it's, those people who are willing to step out of their comfort zone, right? And, and do the things that other people might not necessarily be comfortable doing or might not want to do, um, but they've decided it's important enough to me that I'm going to do this. Uh, and, and I can tell you, you know, things I've done in my life. I know things Mark's done in his life. You, Eric, things you've done in your life. Um, you know, the reward, uh, when you can look at yourself in the mirror and, and see the impact that you've had is, is tremendous. And, it, and it's greater than, than any paycheck you'll ever receive from, you know, the job that you're going to. Um, and it's greater than any pat on the back you'll get from, you know, a colleague saying, Oh, great job. Thanks so much. Um, it's, it's knowing that you had the courage to step out of the comfort zone um, and really make a difference. Absolutely. And everything you said there is talking about building character. It's talking about the things that no man can ever take from you except death itself, right? They can take your house. They can take your cars. They can take your family. They can take all your money. They can take your job title, all the things that everybody loves to show off. They can never take your fucking work ethic. They can never take your, your, I mean, your character, your beliefs, your standards, right? And so those are the most important things right there that we got to work on. And in return, as you work on those things, that brings success, that brings status, that brings nice car, whatever you want, you're in control because you've built and invested in the one thing that nobody can take from you.
like fuck money fuck all that no you know you invest in yourself you you win for life bro you win for life and it's all you got right like it is it's, you know like you talked about you know and i know it's one of the adages that a lot of people use in recovery you know you know take control of the things that you can and and let go of the things you can't but really that's what it comes down to and you know you can't even necessarily control everything that happens in your own life but you can control like you said your character your integrity what you choose to value what you choose to spend your time on and um eric unfortunately you were given some of the hardest challenges anyone could be given but you've proven that to yourself and to the rest of us every day with how you're living in that and i thank you for that appreciate it thank you i, I appreciate that brother you know that kind of just leads us back to the beginning dude if you're gonna stand up on stage and slap a fool you know, that's your beliefs and morals, bro. Yeah. You don't well, apologize. Don't <laughs> apologize. And, and look, as, as much as I'm a rage-filled son of a bitch sometimes, <laughs> nothing good is going to come of that at that point, right? Like, I, I don't care how you feel about Chris Rock. Like, nobody's like, you know what? That, you know what that guy needs in his life is another smack. Like, he, he's literally a funny man. That's his job, right? Yeah. So, and I think, I don't know, you know, going full circle in that, it's, it, is, it is that sense of understanding of, are you comfortable with where you are? Like, you know, really, Will couldn't just stand up and be like, yo, stop making fun of my wife. It hurts her feelings. She has a disease. And sit your ass back down. Like, that's, to me, like, my dad would have looked at me and go, that's what a man does. Yeah, um, You know, and, you know, and so, and notwithstanding and i'm going to say this and i'm not just saying this like out of a disclosure like we don't know what's going on with will man like there might be other shit and and if there is i hope he comes to see someone like you or someone who can help him um to get him to sort that out you know and so but the fact of the matter is it feels too clean of a metaphor of how fucked up our world is right now that everyone thinks that they're right and everyone else is wrong and so they can just walk up and smack a fool for telling a bad joke yeah i just yeah. i don't get that <laughs> it it all comes down right to what we're talking about the only thing that matters is your identity and who you are and who you believe you are and and that's it as soon as we start pointing fingers at other people's beliefs morals standards it destroys our own and that's why it's so easy for me to to not react anymore and to and to not you know jump into other people's lives and say or do the wrong things like that I I know who I am and I'm the only one that I can control and so all I can do is be an example on other people and I obviously don't want to be like a self-righteous asshole <laughs> and say that I would have done any better than Will Smith because I probably would have knocked that motherfucker out I, yeah that's, and that's why I'm saying it that way like I'm not the most stable person either I'm my Especially yeah, if yeah. my wife gave me the look that Jada gave him, I'd be like, I, yeah. I gotta go up there and punch yeah, that for real. But I probably would not have apologized for it later because if I exactly. had, my wife would be like, "Don't say you're sorry." Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And I think, and, and going back to the original, you know, discussion at the beginning of the show, I think that's what's so important is, um, you know, I think the 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 act and the apology here are the the two like are are two separate issues, right? Yeah. And and everything's being brought together. Like, you know, I've had, and Mark knows this, um, you know, as hard as I try to work on, you know, my own, you know, rage and temper, um, you know, uh, in, in that moment, when it comes to my wife, you know, 
I who knows, I may have reacted the exact same way. But if but if I'm going to do that, if I'm going to throw a punch, uh, I'm not going to apologize after because to me, I did it for a reason. Um, and I'm not going to take that back and say, you know what I just did to you? I didn't really mean that. And, um, it, it undermines, like you were saying earlier, Eric, it undermines whether it's the message, you know, in this case, unfortunately it was a physical message, but it underlines the overall message of, of your belief system, of your values and what you stand for. Um, and, and, and unfortunately we see a lot of that in today's society where people use social media. And they're really quick to, to react and, and make a comment on social media. And then because of the blowback they get, not because they, they really want to apologize or because they feel differently about it, but because of what it might do for their image or their brand, right away they come out with some sort of an apology. And to yeah. me, I would respect those people more if they just stood by the comment that they made <laughs> as right. opposed to coming out. And, integrity. Yeah, integrity, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's a different it's the difference between making an excuse for it versus coming out and being like, wow, I really fucked up what my reaction did not like match what happened there, but I was pissed and I did it. And Chris, Mr. Rock, I'm sorry. I hit you. Yeah. That's an apology. That's not what he said though. Yeah. He said that violence isn't the answer and he cried and said he hopes he's yeah. No, I, I, I think that you can uh, apologize for the emotional, Un, you know the you not be able to control yourself but motherfucker deserved it that's why you did it so you know make an example <laughs> right yeah right. i mean it's, it's it's such an odd it is such an odd dichotomy yeah. in that way right like there's so many things where it's like i don't know my wife yells at me for it all the time um because i'll be like oh i'm sorry and she's like you're sorry i'm mad you're not sorry you did or said what you said and i generally yeah. my reaction to that is yeah, you're right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. true. Man. But also, I'm not afraid you know, to say that. <laughs> you know, and just thinking of the three of us on this on the on the the show today, like none of us grew up in in a place right which was you know all white picket fences and and pretty roses and landscaping right there was oh hell no there there was a time like when we were in school and and eric you talked about it earlier right like with with you know your your anger and and rage issues where you know you would go out to the playground and you'd throw fists there wouldn't be any apologies later but it was just understood all right what you said was stupid you had it coming. We just settled it. And now we're going to walk away and we're going to continue on with, with our lives. Um, and hopefully we can find a, a, an easier way to interact with one another. Yeah. Now, every, the other, time I've, yeah. every time right. I've gone in a fight, I've, I've become like really good friends with whoever. I, I, <laughs> I think well, that's how men work, bro. Like honestly, It is. There is a little bit of that, right? Like, I, and you know, I, I definitely grew up in a place where you had to throw hands and, yeah. but there is a sense of it of like, and it's missing. And that's, I guess, where I, I, I that's where I, I guess I struggle sometimes with this thought and talk of toxic masculinity is because I think some of that toxic masculinity comes from basic masculine things that are not allowed. It's like, maybe occasionally we should throw some boxing gloves on, go in a ring, sort some shit out, and then make sure yeah. it's fist bumps and hugs after. And, and, and then we're all good versus this idea of like trying to find power or abusing power or... Um, having power over people who 
who don't need us to have power over, whether it's a woman or someone smaller than us or someone who we're in a position of power and they're not. And it's like, that is toxic shit. But like, you know, two guys like, hey, you piss me off. Let's go throw some hands. Like, I I don't, that's not toxic to me. That's not me either. That's how me and my brother handled things my whole life. And <laughs> yeah. we're close. I mean, exactly. Close. And it's like, and and it's funny because people will react to it. Eric laughs all the time because people will say something. And I'm like, God, you know what? That person probably could just use a smack. And yeah. people are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I'm like, I mean, it works for me. I mean, I, <laughs> I've, you know? I've had my ass kicked, bro. <laughs> I've had I've my, my mouth so open. many times, so many times. <laughs> and probably because I should have shut up in the first place, right? Right. Um, <laughs> But I don't know. Hey, Chris, um, um, thinking about it from Chris's perspective, you know, there was a moment where he was like, wow, I probably deserve that. You know, like, you know, even yeah. even if he's like, it's a dumb joke, it's this or that, nobody just get smack in the mouth. Like, he's he's a smart enough to get the guys. Like, I made fun of a guy's wife's bald head, man. Like, yeah, it's not the best thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> you know? For real. But, I, thought, yeah. I thought there was a, a new G.I. Jane movie coming out at first, and then I saw him slap. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh. That's yeah. not a movie because yeah. she would have been a, a great G.I. Jane, bro. <laughs> she would have yeah. been. It would have been great. Maybe they should make it now. She could yeah. make some money off this and be like, bald head motherfuckers. Yeah. Um, but, but, also, <laughs> but also, if we put if we if we put our empathy hats on, we were talking about that a little bit earlier, too, right? You know, Chris, even prior to that moment, right? He's he's in the Hollywood scene, he knows what's been going on with Will and with Jada and how public they've been and issues with their marriage. Right. So he was, he was kind of walking into the hornet's nest a little bit. Like he could have thought, you know, those jokes aren't written on the spot. So he could have thought, all right, is this, is this really an appropriate thing? Like there's, and, and look, we've all been coming out of this, you know, the COVID anxiety bubble, right? So everyone's emotions are already heightened. Uh, So There's there's a lot of different threads that run through this, and I don't think it's it's as simplistic as as some people are making it out to be. Um, and you know, I know you, Eric, you put up an amazing post a couple of days ago about it, and uh, it's it's kind of gone viral in its own right. Um, and yeah. and a, and for everybody who's uh, who's listening and watching, um, it's definitely worth a read to go over to Eric's Instagram and 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 check it out. Um, it'll it'll get you thinking for a little bit. Yeah, thanks, man. Dude. Well, and and this is a perfect awesome. time, Eric. Where do we find you? Where where, where can people find you and your business and Instagram or wherever else? Instagram's definitely the best place to find me. It's the real underscore Eric Rogers, no K in my in my name. So the real <laughs> underscore Eric Rogers. I'm sure they'll put a link underneath. But yep, oh, I mean, yeah. everybody that's listening to this, you know, what I'd love is, you know, I'd love for if you found this interesting, just message me. Let me know how you, you know, what you thought of it, because sometimes I'll, I'll get, I've been on some of the biggest podcasts in the, in the nation and, uh, you know, people listen, but they don't say anything. And it's like, I want to be, I don't need validation at all, but I want to know who I'm helping. I want to know that I am right. So that I can keep putting more, you know, investing more time into podcasts and stuff like that. So if you found this inspirational or, or moving at all, hit me up in my DM and, and say, what's up. You know, I respond to everybody. So it'd be awesome. Love to hear it. Yes. So everybody who's 
listening to this show today, please hop over to Eric's Instagram, um, send him a message, let him know how much it meant to you. Uh, I'm, I'm sure there are, are many people who are out there listening who may be in a similar situation to what Eric was in, um, in, in one way or another. Um, and, uh, and, and sometimes just having, so I know for me and, and just having somebody there that, you know, is listening and not passing judgment um, is is amazing and and Eric's there and and Mark and I are always here uh, as well you know so um, I think that's that's an important message for everybody everybody to take away from today. Absolutely, cool man. It's been amazing. I, I really appreciate your guys' time. And it sounds like you guys are a good team. Love it. <laughs> wait, wait, Eric, Eric Rogers, thank you so much. And I can't believe you know. Our listeners and watchers know that I come in blind to these things. I don't know your story. And I can't believe we started with this idea of focus and pragmatism as the numerology sort of sense of 58. I started doing this like funny things with numbers and man, what could have been more sort of apropos to your story and this understanding of focusing on what matters, what we can change in ourselves. And it's such a wonderful message. Eric DeRosa, any last words here before we wrap up? Yes, Eric with a K. Uh, no, <laughs> no, no K. Oh, that's no, you. That's oh, you. That's him. Yes, okay. Yeah, I'm C. <laughs> Mine was spelled incorrectly with a C for almost Definitely my entire was. life. Oh, so, no, yeah. no, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, totally was. No, I, uh, I, I just want to say, and I know I said this, Eric, when you and I spoke, you know, a couple months back, um, and and I know that podcast that you're referring to um and uh and it is one of the if not the number one you know health and wellness podcast that is that's out there right now and yeah and and to have you on our show um uh knowing the sh- the shows that you've been on is is such an absolute honor to us uh to be able to have this conversation with you and 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 to not only have you on as a guest but to to consider you a friend uh and someone that is is part of our from survivor to thriver family is um is truly means you know the world to both mark and i so i you know i thank you for sharing your story with our audience today and and i look forward to uh to collaborating uh together on on this mental health and and physical health journey uh in in the years to come absolutely man thank you for um letting me take this time and talk to your audience and give them value and and meeting you know getting to know you too as well i'd like to dig into that a little more come to colorado come skiing and and actually see you guys face to face and meet my wife and kid and i appreciate this this has been awesome this is my therapy bro talking about you know the hard shit I, i love you know, revisiting it and, and teaching people some stuff, if they could hopefully, you know, take it and it'll inspire them and help them change their life. But, you know, one thing I could say, man, to your audience is, you know, if you could be grateful for the simple necessities of life, like your breath, especially just to wake up and be grateful that you are breathing and nothing else, like you're going to, you're going to win at life. You're unstoppable. Because like we said, you can take everything away, you know, from somebody, but their breath, their character and their identity. And if you can learn how to still be happy in those moments, nothing can fucking stop you. So that's, that's like my, my tip of the day for everyone. I love this, man. I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much.
Thank we you. appreciate you so much. On behalf of Eric DeRosa, my co-host, I want to give much thanks and fucking appreciation <laughs> for the attitude adjustment I just received from Eric Rogers. This is Mark Fernandes from Survivor to Thriver, episode 58. I will leave us with these words, as I always do. Let's please all be as well as we can. Mm-hmm.